Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Hello, everyone. This is a special mini episode of Americans Watching the Footy. We'll see how mini it actually is. We could be pretty long-winded with our thoughts always. I mean, this is a podcast, but I guess we'll call it mini. One of the ways to get internet clout is to rank stuff. You don't have to rank things correctly. In fact, the poorer you do with it, the more comments you get and the more clout you get. Hi, big game boomer. Really? Stanford is the best-looking college campus in California? get lost in it every 30 seconds because all the buildings look the same. Don't have that at Cal. Go Bears. I am Benjamin Castle. I am Ethan Castle. Together we are Americans watching the footy, and as we watch the footy, we've decided to rank a couple things. Now, power rankings would be silly, especially when the teams aren't split into divisions or conferences or anything. And especially when this is just our third season watching this sport. We may pass as more knowledgeable than a lot of people, but really we're just talking into a microphone. And most other people aren't. What we are going to rank are the club songs, because that was one of the things that really hooked us on this sport. A lot of those songs are from tunes that are very familiar in the United States, from things you sing in elementary school to old nursery rhymes, you name it. They're very common tunes, and we thought it was really funny that teams adopted them. And we're also going to be ranking the Sir Doug Nichols round uniforms from this season. No, this is a purely aesthetic ranking. We really appreciate the Sir Doug Nichols round for what it is. We love that the clubs acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and acknowledge the impact and atrocities of the stolen generations and the systemic racism and bias against those peoples. All of these designs are special in their own right. Really, mostly when we're ranking these, we each just had our own criteria as we were judging this probably. Maybe nothing in particular popping into our head, but none of it was based really on what the design represents. This is just, how good does it look to us? There are a couple times where we did take the significance of some of the designs into consideration, thinking that some of the artwork represented had special meaning and that kind of scored bonus points. But this is mostly just from a visual standpoint. I've said over the last three years as we've watched the Sir Doug Nichols round that I wish American sports could do as well with this when they celebrate various holidays or observances. For example, within baseball, you typically just see 4th of July means a flag pattern on everything. Some holidays like Armed Forces Day is just a camouflage pattern. I liked it for Memorial Day for the last couple of years. They've just put the poppy with a little lest we forget on it. And then also you've got the cultural heritage types where sometimes there's a special jersey Shout out to the Milwaukee Brewers in particular for actually putting a bunch of different languages on the front of their jersey over time, but I would love to see greater cultural involvement in the promotion itself and in the representation on the field. A couple of examples of how poorly this is done. The Houston Astros just putting a tiny los above the word Astros, so they're los Astros, or the Miami Heat in the NBA, El Heat. Also, los Suns. Los Mets? It is not hard to translate these things. Los Metropolitanos would actually look pretty badass. It's so cool that the Detroit Tigers, they don't even have a script Tigers uniform. They have a special script Tigres uniform, and it looks badass. For cancer awareness, a lot of times, it's just make every accessory to your uniform pink. Or the recent one that might be the silliest 
is for Black History Month, instead of actually incorporating designs from black artists, like, for example, the San Jose Sharks have done with their warm-up uniforms that have been pretty neat, actually. To that point, has designed all the San Jose Sharks logos. Shout out Terry Smith. Instead, what a lot of teams have done, and I saw this in college basketball this year, was just put a floral design on the uniforms to represent giving someone their flowers, which is just a silly expression altogether. So we can take after what the AFL has done with the Doug Nichols celebrations. I think it's a really neat way to incorporate artists, history, tradition. A lot of these designs give a sense of ties to the land, the region, and all of these are pretty cool in their own right, but we're going to debate over which ones are the coolest. We have ranked all 18. We each aggregated our rankings, averaged them out, and came up with what we felt was a comprehensive ranking. So we're going to go through that from bottom to top. There were a couple ties. We kind of worked those out on our own. We were more looking for consistency when we were breaking those. But you got to start at the bottom, whether or not you're Drake. And for the Sir Doug Nichols round, we both ranked the Sydney Swans uniform at the bottom. Again, that's not to say it's a bad uniform. I like a lot of what Lua Pellegrini did. Lua Pellegrini is a we're a jury artist. She kept a sort of Sydney Opera House design in a lot of it, but in front of it, she put these circles, which had the potential to bring these rankings up further. I get that the blue represents water and how vital water is not just to indigenous peoples, but to everyone. I'm just not sure if this is the time to incorporate a brand new accent color, even with a team that so steadily just has red and white to work with. We're both big fans of the traditional black swan design that they usually break out for this round, and unfortunately they didn't do that here. The 19 circles on the front represent the 19 indigenous players that have played for the swans, which is a surprisingly low number. A cool concept. Unfortunately, though, one of those 19 is Elijah Taylor, who was in a lot of legal troubles just a couple years ago. So maybe it would have been better to wait on that for a while when those wounds aren't so fresh. Either way, it ended up looking a lot better on the field than I expected it would have. But I would have liked to see the black swan design. And that's why we have it at number 18. In 17th, we both put St. Kilda. By itself, it's pretty neat. But unfortunately, it's just a rehash of last year's. It was designed by Saints legend Nikki Winmar. I do love the use of some of the splatter painting techniques. I'm not someone who can name a lot of famous artists, but Jackson Pollock, who did a lot of splatter painting, is really the one artist I think of that's really cool. And he does incorporate a lot of neat personal symbols there, as well as a couple of birds called the Willy Wagtail. It's weird sometimes seeing a representation of a particular person on a uniform, but with the significance that Nikki Winmar Stan had, I thought it was more than appropriate here. Unfortunately to us, the jumper just ends up looking bland because the stripes appear thinner. It just ends up looking far too white for us when it's zoomed out. And this is definitely one of the jumpers that you have to appreciate more up close. If it wasn't a rehash, it would definitely rank higher. I would love to see them continue to work with Nikki Winmar on this. He is a great figure in the sport. It's just this design itself, we've seen it before. It's nothing particularly out of the ordinary. It's fine. It's not actively bad, which shows you just how good all of these are if it's ranked 17th, but could be a little better. Moving up to 16th with an average ranking of 15, we had Lockie Jones' Port Adelaide design. Ethan ranked this 14th. I ranked this 16th. 
The white detailing on the black is pretty cool. It's another one of those ones that's probably better viewed up close because it comes across as nearly all black from afar. I do like how Lockheed Jones worked with their sort of V-shape, but to me, for some reason, this just sort of falls flat because just in the flow of the game, it isn't all that easy to distinguish it from their normal jumper, especially when you've got the same paneling on the back. What I think this could do is lend itself to some tweaks they could make to the normal one eventually if they wanted to take out some of the accent colors and make it more black-centric. I do really like the design around the neck in general, that sort of V-shape. And I had no idea that Lockie Jones is indigenous because with some indigenous players, based off of their physical appearance, you can tell. With others, it's much more subtle. He is one where it's clearly more subtle, and it's great that he was able to tell that story and showcase the personal significance to him. And he's clearly got more artistic skills than just about any of us have. So... Well done. Again, similar to St. Kilda, that it's ranked this low is not a knock-on, and it's more a compliment to the others. At 15, we've got the West Coast Eagles, which actually tied with Port Adelaide. We had to break that tie. We both ranked this at number 15, as it turned out. This one was designed by Daryl Bellotti, who is of the Nyungar and Yamachi communities. If we mispronounce any of the names of these indigenous communities, please know we are trying our best. It has the Wawul, a rainbow serpent, which is supposed to be traveling the lands and watching the eagles as they journey to the grand final. Optus Stadium is located along the Swan River, and legend has it that the tracks of the rainbow serpent created the creeks and rivers that now can be seen in Western Australia. So that all ties into the ground that the team plays on. I didn't rank this one any higher because A, it's a rehash, B... As cool as the snake design is, and as much as I love the significance to the Swan River and the location of Optus Stadium, there is nothing here Eagles-related whatsoever. There's really nothing that has anything to do with any sort of bird, so that's the only reason I'm not putting this one higher. Again, no offense to Daryl Bellotti. This is a design that I really liked last year, and I like it again. Some of these higher rankings definitely are because of a sense of novelty. There's nothing wrong with this. I really like the way that they represented the river and the woggle. I just want to see what else they can manage with this. Maybe Daryl Bellotti can come up with a design that incorporates an eagle a bit more next year, and I think maybe I'd rank that higher. At 14th, we really disagreed on this one. I ranked Collingwood at number 16. Benjamin ranked it at number 9. It's basically the traditional black and white stripe pattern of a Collingwood jumper with a design of a few feathers falling, representing a magpie shedding its old feathers, replacing it with new ones. This is one that definitely grew on me the past couple rounds. It's not one that stood out to me in the beginning, but it's hard to touch those Collingwood stripes. You de-emphasize that, it's hard to still make that out as an iconic Collingwood jumper. There are a lot of subtleties in the design that Tyson Austin and Troy Isley had, and the symbolism is pretty important here in the aftermath of the reports that came out and the club trying to make meaningful change. And employing an indigenous artist to do that, I think, sends a really powerful and positive message. The Collingwood Jumper is, is such a standard design on its own that I think the little additions here really make this one stand out. I would have loved to see them incorporate some of the art into the striping pattern instead of just keeping the traditional black and white bars on their own. Maybe doing something within that would have ranked that one a little higher for me. But I do love the story to this one. In the Fox Footy article about it, the shedding of the feathers is supposed to represent the changes of the club, appointing a new president and a new coach. And it's a dramatic change, but an exciting new period. So I do think the significance of this one is extremely special. 
We were also really divided on the jumper that ended up 13th in our rankings. This was the joint Luther, Cora, and Trent Lee design for the Gold Coast Suns. I really like how they incorporated one artist from the Gold Coast, that being Luther Cora of the Uganda community, and one from Darwin, that being Trent Lee of the Larakia people. Especially because the Suns played last round in Darwin and will play there this round too. Great to have that connection as they're building up their base there. Having that academy zoning, having a couple really exciting players from that academy already too in Malcolm Rosas Jr. and Joel Jeffrey. I just thought that the details here as meaningful as they are, as colorful as the symbolism around the eagle is and that sort of sunburst is, I just didn't think it stood out enough from its home jumper to warrant a higher ranking. And I feel like slapping on the Suns logo right in the middle of it still without really incorporating it into the design kind of took away from it somewhat. Yeah, I would have liked if they had made the Suns logo smaller and maybe put it like as a sort of chest patch or something or up around the collar. But I thought the crocodile was really cool. I liked that it's got a crocodile to signify the Northern Territories. The eagle represents Gold Coast. You mentioned Malcolm Roses and Joel Jeffrey, both of whom are not only from the top end, but are indigenous players. And extra credit to Jai Farrow posing with an eagle for this on the Fox Footy article. And Isaac Rankin for doing that on the AFL page. I think this is the most polarizing one of the group. I think some people are going to look at this and say it's the coolest one. I do love the background pattern signifying the river, ocean, and sky, kind of a circular pattern on the right side of it. But at the same time, it just kind of looks like a bunch of things were thrown together and they couldn't really decide on one concrete direction to go in. I think there's potential to really build from this, and I think they should continue incorporating the Northern Territory and Gold Coast together. I honestly wouldn't have been opposed to them leaving off the Suns logo altogether, I think that would have probably moved it up closer to where you have it in the rankings. Next up, the Western Bulldogs, who have the same design that they used last year. And while I'm not huge on rehashes, they do get a bit of a pass on this because theirs was not worn in front of any fans last year. They had to play in an empty stadium during that round. It's a very similar look to their regular jumpers. This one was designed by Lindsey Gilby, who played 206 games with the team, as well as Aboriginal artist Nathan Patterson. The design is supposed to represent the Boandic people of the Mount Gambier region, as well as Gilby's family history. The jumper has the blue lake on it, as well as a footprint pattern representing the traditional owners. The back is supposed to represent three meeting places as well. I thought this one looked really good. It wasn't that much of a deviation from the normal design, but I think they did it in such a way that it came out really well, especially with the way they incorporated the striping pattern, keeping the integrity of the regular one, but still putting a nice twist on it, kind of angling it. I really liked how this one turned out. It would have scored higher if it wasn't something we had seen before. With how thin the dog stripes are on their normal uniform, even if it's an iconic design, I think expanding those and being to add those details was a really smart decision. Definitely makes it stand out more, more than fine with them, using it again with the fans having not seen it. And they seem to perform all right in it too. Up at number 11, we have three-time premiership player and Eastern Aranda man, Daryl White, and his design for the Brisbane Lions. Now, this one really takes from the old Brisbane Bears design. It's been 25 years since the Bears merged with Fitzroy, and that's symbolized with just a 25 years on the front. 
I would have liked that to have not been kind of shoehorned in there, just the English writing. I think maybe a, like a silver anniversary patch throughout the season would have been a better way to incorporate that. But I do like how they have the three meeting places representing the GABA, Metricon Stadium, which was the home of the Brisbane Bears initially, as well as Brunswick Street Oval, the traditional home of Fitzroy. It's great to see the Lions still acknowledging their partial Victorian roots there. The thing is, I just had a hard time making out some of these details in the passage of play with how maroon the jumper ended up being. It would have maybe liked the top of it to still be blue. I think that would have made it stand out more. I think they could have made the sort of V design in the middle a bit more gold heavy. And again, just the placing of the 25 years on the front was really off-putting. If they wanted to put that kind of at the bottom of the collar or put it, you know, just on the collar instead of a sort of a medallion shape, I think that would have been really neat. I just think it kind of looks like it was just slapped on haphazardly and that takes away a bit from what's otherwise a really nice design. The white numbers on the maroon uniform I think they look way better than the gold ones, and I would like to see the Lions use that full time. I think the contrast is really good, and it's a nice touch that moves this one up in the rankings for me. In 10th place, we have Hawthorne, which was designed by an Aboriginal art business called Mimi and Jinda by a mother-daughter duo by the names of Lauren Jarrett and Melissa Greenwood. It is mainly a gold jumper with a brown wheel design in the middle and some striping towards the bottom. The front is supposed to represent the journey under the stars with Earth, while the bottom is designed to show that we all come from the same place, focusing on the values of inclusion and togetherness. I think this is a very geometrically, aesthetically pleasing design. A lot of these don't have much symmetry in them, and this one is just about symmetrical. I really liked how it looked on the field. I just didn't mark this one that high because I don't think it's that memorable. I think when years later, you know, you have a discussion about best uniforms in AFL history, this is one that's just, it's just kind of there. It's not great, not terrible. It's just kind of there. 3.6. Not great, not terrible. This is one that I probably would have ranked lower had I just seen the stills of it. I think that the symmetry of it showed really well on the field. And at first I thought it was just a real downgrade from the predominantly brown design they had in a couple years past. I think that one was excellent. Do you like that they decided to go in a different direction nonetheless? And this was definitely a climber for me throughout these past two rounds. Going into the top half at night, we have by far the highest of the reused designs, that being Wadawurung woman Karina Eccles jumper for Geelong. This one was used in front of crowds last year, but reduced crowds. And I just really like how it plays off the traditional hoops design. Eccles says that it's a story about Jalang and Waterworm country. There's an incorporation of Cardiniu, the sunrise. Didn't previously know that was the inspiration behind the name for Cardinia Park. And you have the teams coming together to play the traditional game of Marnbrook, which is likely an inspiration for Australian rules football. You have the eels traveling down the Barwon River. You have Bunchill, the wedge-tailed eagle, washing over it. The Geelong hoops design is one that stands out from the pack when you're just looking at all the regular jumpers side by side. And I like how Eccles was able to play off of that here. The sort of sun design at the bottom, it kind of looks like almost like a wheel, like an old timey boat wheel with the sort of spokes on it. I really like the way that all fits in. And again, what I like the most about this one is just it incorporates the hoops pattern while taking a completely different spin on it. But you can still recognize right away. Oh, 
that's supposed to be Geelong. We can clearly tell what it's based off while putting its own spin on things. And I just love how this one came out. At number eight is one we were really divided on. I ranked this one down at 13. Benjamin put it at six. I still really liked it and loved the way it looked on the field, actually. It's the Richmond Tigers jumper, which was designed by Noongarman and player Marlon Pickett and his partner Jess Nanup. Unfortunately, Pickett was not able to play in either of the Sir Doug Nichols rounds, suspended for one and then out with a migraine for the other. Was really happy, though, that he was able to participate in the war cry before the Dreamtime game. Loved how the whole team got involved and really celebrated their indigenous players. I hope more teams start having their players participate in their welcoming ceremonies and war cries as well. I hope they wear this one once more just so that Marlon can actually play in it. Most of the art on this one is along the sash that you normally see the Tigers wear. It basically covers the design over that. There are some circles on it representing Hunt Road Oval, Richmond, the MCG. There's also a Karak. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I'm hoping that the effort we're taking to pronounce things is recognized more than the execution, but it's a red-tailed black cockatoo, which is the family totem. The more I looked at this one, the more I liked it. I especially enjoyed the gold numbers on the back. I thought that contrasted really nicely and would like to see Richmond incorporate that more than the white numbers. The gold numbers on the back were enabled by Pickett's decision to not have the sash go on the back, regardless of whether or not the sash goes all the way around. This is unmistakably a Richmond jumper, and I think all the design elements are incorporated really, really well. This is one that I'd be more than glad to see them keep. At number seven, we have another player design jumper, another one that we were totally split on. It's Essendon, designed by the recently retired... He actually retired the day before this game, though he was on the field as part of the pregame ceremonies, so he got to see his team, wear the uniform that he designed. I think this one looks way better off the field than on it. Unfortunately, as it's a mostly black uniform against Richmond, who are also wearing a mostly black uniform, they kind of clashed. So it was at times difficult to tell them apart and really appreciate them. I thought the look itself is great, though. You've got some footprint patterns representing the Bombers past and present First Nation players on their journey to the Essendon family and a big circle in the center that kind of fits alongside the sash, representing the club as a meeting place. I thought it was cool that they incorporated the sash, and I love the sort of gradient design that comes along with it. It's just the overall jersey was a bit too dark when you're going up against another team wearing a dark uniform, and to top it off the following week, playing against Port Adelaide wearing an all-black jumper, they really had no choice but to wear their typical clash jumper instead of this one. If they could have come up with a more red-based version of this, it would have gone over well, but I love the design of this one altogether. I like this more as an art piece than I do as a jumper. Hopefully they'll wear it once more, at least at home, so that they have the opportunity to present it without a potential clash. I think this is another case where the iconic element of the jumper is preserved in a really cool way. And I just wish Walla had been able to play in this. But of course, we totally respect his decision and we hope all the best for him. Up to number six now. This is one that Ethan ranked a little higher than I did, but one that I still really like. It's the Carlton Jumper, which was designed by Yorta Yora and Juro-descended Shanae Kellett, who was the great-granddaughter of Sir Doug Nichols. Loved how they had that connection through the round. Sir Doug Nichols played some seconds matches for Carlton, unfortunately didn't see the field with the top side, did get AFL action with Fitzroy, 
between 1932 and 1937. Just the Carlton jumpers as a whole are just, they're there. They've got the logo in the middle. They've got their two colors. It's almost too standard. And the different shades of blue in this one do a really good job of breaking that up. Kellett also incorporated all the names of Carlton's past indigenous players onto the jumper. That's another special touch there. The design features a bunch of meeting places, a big circle, and the whole theme of this jumper was based off of reconciliation between the club and its players because Nichols never really got a chance to flourish at Carlton. So the theme is cleansing, and the design sort of invokes the image of a bunch of different pathways of water kind of washing down and cleaning away these past transgressions. For a team called the Blues, I think it's great to have different shades of blue instead of just the one. And honestly, I'd like to see them do more like this with differing shades of blue instead of just the standard navy that they use. We're into the top five, and we'll just say now, two of these top five are by the same artist. One of them is at number five, Warren Jury and Jaja Waring artist Kaya Nicholson Ward designed Narm's jumper along with one other. Narm, of course, being the renamed Melbourne. For these past couple rounds, this is one that I really enjoyed from top to bottom. I think it plays off the red and blue design that they have pretty well, kind of reversing it with the blue on top. All sorts of connections to the Warren Jury culture. There's Bunjil, who we previously mentioned from the Geelong jumper. It's shown being above the Birarung, the Yarra River. There's a footprint of Urimul, the emu, representing the future, and also a boomerang that kind of plays into the normal jumper design, representing the player's strengths and skills. There's also meeting places to represent the Melbourne Cricket Ground. The hands up top adds something that I really like to it. And this is one also where I think the long sleeve design makes it stand out even more, kind of extending the pattern that was already there, the kind of celestial pattern there. Even if at times it makes me think it's something that might belong on, on the racket Lululemon, I think that more than anything is just representative of just how cool I think this design is and how it honestly could sell really well outside of Melbourne. I think the design itself is beautiful. The reason I only ranked this one at eighth personally is that there isn't a lot of direct significance to the club. There isn't a lot of direct significance to the name, the demons. I mean, although... how, I mean, how much can you do that, though? That's not really something that is easy to incorporate. This is one case where I really let the design do the talking and dictate its ranking for me, though I get why you didn't. Although I also totally understand in a lot of cultures, a demon isn't something you'd use as a mascot. So that makes it difficult. The two real knocks I have on this one, though, are that the Wedgetail Eagle kind of looks a lot like the Black Swan in terms of its positioning and color. And the design as a whole from a distance kind of looks like Brisbane's away uniform, which is not a bad thing. It's just a little confusing. You don't look at this right away and go, oh, that's definitely Melbourne. By itself, though, just visually, I think this is one of the coolest of all. And I think it's something that with a few minor changes could be the blueprint for this club for the Sir Doug Nichols round in the coming years. I hope they continue working with Kaya Nicholson Ward. I think her work is excellent. Going up to number four, we really liked Bobby Hill's design the past couple years for the Greater Western Sydney Giants. They went a different direction this year, having we're a jury artist Peter Witten design it. And this is one where the color blocking really helped it stand out. Orange is a unique color across the AFL. 
And I really like how he sort of played off the kind of split color design that the Giants normally have. Also, the orange numbers were interesting on this one. Not sure if it ended up being the most ideal just because it's, it's a little bright, but definitely made it stand out. The theme of this one is Together We Stand, representing all those within the Giants family coming together to stand tall. The G in the center of design is used to signify meeting places, both Manica Oval and Giants Stadium. The boomerang designs represent this club's resilience. And I ranked this one so high because I thought this was a really tough design to do something with. It's kind of an awkward shape. The G logo, it's hard to incorporate with a lot of the indigenous art styles. And Peter Witten managed to not only incorporate it, but do so beautifully. This is not an easy one to pull off, and he did a great job with it. I thought it was going to be really hard to surpass what Bobby had done, but looking at him modeling this uniform for a couple of the articles, I think Witten did it. I just love how he just kind of keeps the color divide theme that's present on, on the regular Giants jumpers and adds intricacies that fit into a template similar to what Greater Western Sydney already used. On the top three, we ranked the same ones 3-2-1, so there wasn't much debate here. We both put Fremantle at number three. It is the first time a current Dockers player has designed the Indigenous Round Jumper, that being Michael Walters. He did it with an artist by the name of Peter Farmer Jr. It's supposed to highlight the importance of family in the football club, with feathers representing Walters' totems, both from his immediate family in West Australia and his father's South Australian group. And what really made this one so cool was that it basically kept the integrity and shape of the striping of Fremantle's regular design while doing so with some really cool patterns that you can appreciate even more up close. From a distance, you can tell this is a different version of the typical Fremantle jumper while still recognizing that it's the Dockers. So this one really checked off all the boxes to me. And some of those symbols that Ethan mentioned from Walter's mother's side, there's Wetch, the Emu. For the Western Australian groups, the Nyungar, there's symbols uh, of men standing arm in arm holding a catch, a spear, and a shield as well. I kind of thought of this one as being functionally minimal. This is the best two-color design that's here. I thought that it was going to be really hard to manage with just purple and white. I was thinking maybe he would draw on some of Fremantle's past colors with the green and the red, but he did a really amazing job here. And the other thing I really liked about it was that They also made a white version of this, which was just as good as the purple, if not better. They used that in round 11 to avoid clashing with Narm. Major bonus points for having the white version. I wish Essendon had the foresight to do something similar with theirs. At number two, we both ranked Adelaide. This was actually the very first design release because they released it in conjunction with the one their AFLW club wore. Now, the AFLW version was more yellow and gold based. This one is much more blue-heavy. It was designed by Eastern Aranta man Pat Caruso. It has the aboriginal adaptation of the crows in the center, with a Karna shield perched on his chest, as well as hands making up the wings of the crow. There are fingerprint designs on the feathers. It kind of reminds me, with its shape and positioning, it looks sort of like a phoenix rising, rather than what I would envision with a crow. I think it looks incredible, though. I love how Caruso was able to capture pretty much everything about the uniform and what he and the crows wanted out of it in one big central symbol. The full body crow is awesome. It's one of the most vibrant designs across the league. And I hope they continue working with Caruso because this is a success in pretty much every way. 
with most of these, I've liked that they've kind of stuck with the traditional sort of format, the same sort of striping that's normally used. This one did not do that, and it still came out great. When I saw this in January, I thought, this has got to be the best one of the year. No one's going to top Pat Caruso. And yet I think Kai Nicholson Ward did with her other design, other than Narn. She also designed North Melbourne's jumper. And I think this one is about as perfect as you could get, honestly. She plays off the classic blue and white vertical stripes that North have to begin with, but adds some more symbols in the white stripes that make it just different in the right way. There's the forward-facing kangaroo that symbolizes the club moving forward positively. There's also a paw print in the lower left-hand section representing the player's unique journeys. And there's a meeting place also representing the club. This keeps the integrity of a North Melbourne jumper while adding all the right touches in all the right places. This is probably the best jumper across the AFL this year. As much as I like their flash jumper, this is even better. I think it's really cool that they were able to keep the original striping while incorporating some extra detail to it and then slapping the front-facing kangaroo on it. This just came out perfectly for a club that we haven't been able to say many positive things about for years this is an enormous positive, and while I'm usually not a fan of rehashing jumpers, they can go ahead and wear this one for the next decade, Sir Doug Nichols round or not, because it is phenomenal. Well done. North Melbourne, you win. So that's our ranking of the 18, 19 actually, Sir Doug Nichols round jumpers. We're going to take our quick ad break here, and then we're going to jump into our club song ranking. We'll probably have a bit more to say on this one, especially myself being the musician here. Don't forget, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Americans Footy. You can find me at Castle Media. You can find Benjamin at BenjaminHK01. And you can find Brian Harambe, the footy cat, on Instagram at CatNameGrian. You can also find him sleeping next to my feet. Now, as we mentioned at the start of this ranking special, one of the first things that drew us to the AFL was the collection of the club songs. It was something that we just thought so strange, even coming from an American culture where college fight songs are so prominent. Just the idiosyncrasies of the club songs and how they just seem so old-timey and Australian while capturing the essence of a lot of the clubs really well make them such an integral part of our formative experiences with the AFL that we wanted to take the time and rank them. Just like we did with the Sir Doug Nichols jumpers, we're going from the bottom up. We each came up with our own rankings, averaged them out, and then had a couple of little debates for tiebreaker purposes. My criteria for these basically rewarded the ones that use a funny, recognizable tune, something that's easy to remember, easy to sing, but not overly simple, and checks off all the marks with things about, you know, being the best team, playing hard, teamwork, etc., I thought less on the humorous side and was thinking more about the functionality, leaning a lot into the lyrics in particular. I will say we were divided on what our number ones were. We were pretty even with the trajectory of these rankings being pretty similar throughout for us, but there are some divides up top that we'll get into, and I think we'll show some of the differences in our criteria. Only one of our songs, we were separated by more than three spots on the rankings, so most of our rankings here were pretty similar, though they still lent itself to some really fun debate. So without further ado, let's begin with number 18, one that we've only heard once after a game this year, We're Flying High. There is so much potential for the West Coast Eagles song to be great. The lyrics are pretty cool, 
They've changed this a number of times, and I like what they have in the current version, capturing kind of the essence of being a Western Australian club in a game that's still very much a Victorian game, playing off the club's colors. It's just that the execution is really flawed here, in that Birds of Tokyo, as cool as they are, they just aren't the right vibe for a club song. It's just off-putting. There's a reason that the Eagles don't run out to this immediately. They have Joker and the Thief playing as they run out before you hear the didgeridoo that starts for Flying High. It is cool that they have the didgeridoo. It's the first club song to incorporate an indigenous instrument. The Birds of Tokyo version should be a special version, not the main one. I think the opening lines are cool, but it just the whole thing doesn't fit the mold of a typical AFL club song. The thing is, you can break the mold in certain ways and get away with it. This one just is too mellow and too kind of pop rock anthemy for me. Honestly, considering kind of making a more Victorian club song style arrangement of this just to show the potential that I feel we're flying high still has. We don't view the Western Australian songs that highly clearly because number 17, this was actually tied in our rankings and we were negotiating about which one was higher. We've got Frio Way to Go at number 17. We've heard a lot this season. The Rock Direction is cool. Very much have some kind of 80s flavor to it, even though this was produced in the mid-90s. That direction could really fit the footy, but the lyrics are just really repetitive. And even though the tune might stick with you, the lyrics don't. The lyrics are boring. I don't think the tune is very funny. I don't think it's a really good combo at all. The one positive out of this is the line, we're the rollers, we're the rockers, has led to the rocker on the roof at the top of Optus Stadium playing We Will Rock You to count down to the opening bounce of each game, which has become one of my favorite things in the sport. I wish they used the rocker on the roof more. I wish they involved him in maybe the songs after goals playing Thunderstruck at times. That would be a cool way to continue incorporating that. We agreed on number 16. It's We Are the Navy Blues for Carlton, based off of a song, Lily of Laguna, which was a minstrel song, as it turns out. I went back and actually looked at it. The part that they took from isn't bad at all. Other parts of the song are incredibly racist, which unfortunately was the standard at the time. But I marked this one low, not because of its origins, but because it's too boring and too slow. And the lyrics are boring. Even with all the history associated with the song, all the club success, there's 16 flags being tied with Essendon for the most just the slow number doesn't feel right for the energy that the sport has, especially in celebrating a win. We could talk a lot more about the problematics of the song's origins, and I would like to see some sort of different direction for the club, though with how old and established it is, I think it's going to be tough for that to actually happen. The one thing I do like about this one is after when the players actually sing the da-da-da-da-da part, that cracks me up every single time. And on the marquee around the stadium, when they play the song and have the lyrics up for the fans to sing along, it even includes da-da-da-da-da. That is pretty awesome. At number 15, we have probably the most obvious song choice in all the AFL. It's when the Saints go marching in, used with little alteration by St. Kilda. I mean, they're the Saints. It's just as simple as that. I feel like something more could have been done here maybe adding some more lyrics. It's good for what it is. It's easy to remember, so points for that. It's the obvious song choice. You really have no other option there. I really don't have any other thoughts on this one. Needs a second verse. No way you could have gone with a different song, but I wish there was a way to do a little bit more with it. I mean, 
considering that the fans have come up with insane in the membrane, there's room for creativity here. At 14, North Melbourne joining the chorus, which is based off of a traditional Scottish song. Now, I'm usually good at pronouncing foreign words, but if it's like Scottish or Irish or Welsh, good luck. We're just not going to touch this one. I'm, I'm going to try. Really? We Doc and Doris? It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. There's just a bunch of better songs out there. I wish they incorporated the long chant they have, which we have only heard once this year, but it's cool to hear when they actually win. I wish they were able to incorporate that into the song in some way. It's just too light sounding, too weak sounding, honestly, for a footy song. Kind of have some of the same reaction to it that I have to We Are the Navy Blues, even though it's a good deal faster than that. It is still, though, I think, on the slower end, especially as the Victorian songs go. On top of that, it really doesn't say much about the kangaroo. It doesn't say anything about the shin boners. And for a team that struggled to formulate an identity, having such a bland song really doesn't help. Up at number 13, we actually have the same 11 through 13 on this. Weird that we were able to sync things up so well. You hear a tiny piece of this one a lot. It's, we are the sons of the Gold Coast Sky. The Gold Coast Sun's new song, which sounds very new, very polished. To me, it just doesn't have the right footy vibe with the instrumentation it has. I feel like, I feel like just the way they have that kind of pounding piano right there makes it feel more like a show tune than anything else. It sounds like the opening to a shitty off-Broadway musical. It's cheesy and lame, but in a fun way. It's like, you know, maybe it was performed at the Springfield Dinner Theater on nights when they aren't doing Guys and Dolls with Mark Hamill. At least this is one that we've been able to hear a lot more, and seems like the fans that have been there have been getting into it more. Maybe our opinion of it will improve along with the rest of the Gold Coast Suns. At number 12, See the Bombers Fly Up, styled off of Keep Your Sunny Side Up. It's a quality song. I just think it doesn't quite have the same sort of early 1900s vibe that a lot of the other Victorian club songs do. I don't have a problem with the way that Essendon's song says premiership. I think it's just a little quality of it that makes it stand out a bit more. I mean, nothing really bad about it. It's just one that I don't think of immediately when I think footy song. And that and I don't think that would change even if Essendon were one of the top teams around. Sadly, I can't give this one bonus points for the Ugandan version because I'm really basing it off of the standard recording that you hear at the stadium and on broadcasts. At number 11, good old Collingwood Forever, dialed after Goodbye Dolly Gray. This is the oldest club song. This was written all the way back in 1906. That was the year that the then VFL was just in its 10th season. And it set a really good foundation for some of the best numbers thereafter. It mentions the mascot. It mentions the fans. It checks the necessary boxes. It's one you hear a lot. And I like it. Also cool that you hear an American sing it as part of that mix because of Mason Cox. It's just not a very familiar tune. Very few people in the U.S. would be able to recognize Goodbye Dolly Gray. Maybe a few theater kids, but that's about it. The lyrics are solid. There's just really nothing to write home about here. It's fine. For me, familiarity can help sometimes. I don't think a lack of familiarity can detract from this one, though. And I think that's also the same case when it comes to what we have at number 10, that being the Western Bulldogs, Sons of the West. It leads into the team's mascot as much as any song. Bulldogs biting, Bulldogs roar, we come out snarling. I appreciate that. 
It kind of has this newer sheen to it. Sometimes that doesn't come across the right way. Here I'm actually okay with it for some reason. Not exactly sure why. I could probably make some sort of explanation for it, something about how music is viewed and, and used around the sport, but I'm not writing a think piece about it. This one and We Are the Sons of the Gold Coast Sky are the two that are most like NFL theme songs. I've said that the AFL songs run circles around most of the NFL songs, but this one's fun. It definitely has more of like a 70s, 80s-ish feel, like from, you know, some team commercial run during that era. But I really like how this one goes. It gets stuck in your head easily. The lyrics are good. I'd rank it higher if it was based off of a more familiar tune. At number nine, Power to Win. I think this is actually a really neat one. It's fun to sing along with. Being able to yell, power, never gets old. And while it's lengthy, has multiple parts to it, Hard to remember the lyrics the first few times through. I like this one. I think they did a good job with the hand they were dealt, not being able to bring over their song from their Sandful days when they used a version of Sydney's song. Or the Notre Dame Victory March, but whatever. They did all right for themselves, considering of the newer songs, even though they're not quite what you would call an expansion club. Far from it. They're the only pre-existing non-Victorian club to have joined the AFL. They celebrated their 150th anniversary recently, but... They did do a really cool job with this. I love the Albert. I love the mention of we're the Alberton crowd referencing the Alberton Oval where they still have their Sandful team and where they train. And I like the B section in this one. It is a little weird because not only is it a newer sound, but it's also got some weird time signature stuff going on there, but it all works. And I think just with how much we've heard it, I've come to appreciate it a lot. Of the songs that don't really take from that marching song sort of sort of stencil, this is the best of them. Easily. However, just like in round three this season, the Crows pipped the power in our rankings. The Pride of South Australia, based off the United States Marines hymn, comes in at number eight. This is one that really cracked me up when I first heard just because of the tune being familiar. I always tend to hear it around this time of year. In the past, in our scouting days, we would always go and plant flags at the nearby military cemetery. And during part of the ceremonies before the planting began, they tended to have a band that played all of the songs of the branch of the armed forces. And so the U.S. Marines hymn is a really familiar tune to me. They're the newest club to have a non-original song, and they really have that traditional instrumentation. And I just think it works really, really well. It's decently silly in terms of song choice. I think the lyrics are good, and it's not overly simple because the two verses are different from each other. I like how this one turned out, and it shows that while we went looking through some of the lower-tier clubs, some of the VFL and other leagues to see what they based their songs off of, there's still more songs out there that you can do it with than the ones that have already been used. We'll mention right now, we actually have a family connection to one of the songs that one of those lower-league teams uses. The Cobra Lions based their song off California Here I Come, uh, which was written by a cousin of one of our great-grandmothers, that cousin that cousin being songwriter Joseph Meyer. At number seven, we've got Hawthorne, the Mighty Fighting Hawks, to the tune of the Yankee Doodle Boy, more commonly known as I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. I think this one just checks all the boxes. It's a funny tune. It's got lyrics about teamwork. I don't think there's much more you could ask for. It is a little weird that they say it as, you know, one for all and all for one instead of the other way around, but that's really nitpicking. This one's just really good. The American Song Foundations are just always really funny when they come across. I think the lyrics just really work here. 
I've always regarded this one as being in the upper echelon, at least the upper third of the footy songs. And I got a good feeling that we're going to hear it more and more as Sam Mitchell continues to build Hawthorne to his liking. Up at number six, we had a bit more of a divide on this one than a lot of the ones we were recently talking about. Ethan ranked this down at eighth. I had this ranked up at fourth. This is one of the songs that just cracked me up the most when I heard it because it was so unexpected. It's Cheer Cheer, the Red and the White, the Sydney Swans song based off the University of Notre Dame's Victory March. We hinted at it earlier. Here it is now. I wish they had more horns playing instead of just really hearing the banjo, but I think it's a quality song overall. If you're trying to explain footy to someone who has no familiarity with the sport, you can tell them after they win, they play the Notre Dame fight song with a banjo solo in the middle. I do miss a few years ago, there was a version of it that played where they basically just took the original South Melbourne version and just said swans over the word South. And you could very clearly hear it just being dubbed over. They've since then polished that. I kind of liked how low quality that was. American fight songs are a really great model, I think, for footy songs. You can slow them down easily if you have to. They're meant to be sung by a lot of people. So many of them can work really well. You were asking me when we were thinking about making these rankings, what other college fight songs could work? And there are a bunch that I'm thinking of. I think it would be a little harder to have to have Fight for California in there, just with kind of more of a triple meter feel at times. It's a great song, though. Recommend you listen to it because Calvin great. However, I think my dad's I think my dad's school, the University of Maryland, which, by the way, just won the men's lacrosse championship, has a fight song that could really work. There's a Maryland spell out where teams could incorporate something really interesting. It doesn't have to be a spell out, but I think it's just a place where a lot of people could just come together and sing lyrics really strongly. The other one that stood out to me is Texas Fight, the fight song of the University of Texas at Austin. We are both making horns down signs right now. 15-yard penalty. Taunting. We're not in the Big 12 or the SEC. Don't worry. I just think that the pacing of it might allow for some good call-and-response type stuff. As much as I think the song itself sucks and is super bland and unoriginal, I think Michigan's Hail to the Victors would work. I also think USC's Fight On would work really well. I think that Fight On is too short for that. I think maybe it's also just I am so sick of hearing it because the spirit of Troy plays it every single first down. But if you want to look for ideas for club songs and you aren't wanting to go with the old show tune or movie song or military song, college fight songs are a really good place to start, I think. That was a fun little tangent. We agreed on which song we ranked at number five. It's definitely been the source of more memes than any other club song. Hey, now now that Largo's gone, we, we can play the forbidden music. It's Big Big Sound, the GWS Giants fight song. A new song is not supposed to be this good. No, it's not. I feel weird calling it a more traditional song. It does have that sort of ragtime feel to it. Of course, it's a very high fidelity recording because the team just started play in 2012. It stands out to me for a whole bunch of reasons. The intro is awesome by itself. The instrumental break has some cool lines in it. I love how it's mostly in a minor key as well. I'm just shocked at how awesome of a song this is just outside of a footy context. I also like that it could totally pass for something that Soviet troops had to march to. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I can totally see it now. We're up to number four already. We seem to be moving along in these rankings a good deal faster than the ones for the jumpers. Not exactly sure why that is, but Ethan had this one that we aggregated to fourth. 
higher than I did. He had it at third ball. I had it at sixth. It's the Brisbane Lions with the pride of Brisbane Town. I just found the choice of Lamar Sayez to be really funny for one. Well, ooh la dee da, Mr. Frenchman. I think it's one of the funniest song choices. The lyrics are actually really good. It incorporates the club history, talks about, you know, all the important things, checking off all the boxes with things like winning and being the best. The nods to Fitzroy and the Brisbane Bears take this one a good deal higher than me. I feel like it's almost a little too overproduced in the current recording with the fake anthemic rock vibes, but the song selection keeps it really, really high for me. At number three, we've got We're From Tigerland. Benjamin ranked this one at number one. I marked it down at number four. I think the lyrics are great. I think the tune is great. Screaming yellow and black is awesome, but it fits behind the ones that I put ahead of it. Brisbane, Geelong, and Melbourne, because the song itself that's based off of Row, Row, Row from something called the Zigfield Follies is not familiar at all. For me, this just is everything that you wanted a footy song. Even if it isn't familiar, it's a tune onto which you latch really, really quickly. It's just a fun song to hear and sing. Super upbeat. The theming is spot on. The yellow and black yell definitely helps. And the fact that it isn't well-known also just makes its connection to the Richmond Football Club and the sport with it even stronger. For me, this is the ultimate footy song, and it's cool seeing other teams try to play off it, especially with... uh, the Indian cricket team that used its Sunrisers Hyderabad. I will say there is no other AFL song that's been taken and turned into a song for another sport. So that definitely earns this one a special standing. I don't think anyone, no matter who you're a fan of, could say that this isn't at least a top four or five song. It's just a matter of ranking it within that top four or five. And I really like the other two as well. There's just always been something special about We're From Tigerland when I've listened to it. It just makes me think footy more than any of the other songs. Maybe it's because of Richmond's success around the time we started watching plays into that a little bit, but I think there's just something about the lyrics that drives that home more than anything. At number two, We Are Geelong, based off the Toreador song from Carmen. I'm biased here, but I think this one is really fun. It's a really silly song choice. The only way it could be better would be if they actually used the second verse because without it, the lyrics are a little bit too simple. I love the name drop of Cardinia Park and referencing the championship flags as well. They make a less usual song form work really well here. I would have never thought that the Toreador song would have been such a good template here, but this is just another really unique one that I absolutely love hearing. I also wish they sang both verses, but this is a footy song through and through regardless. I'm very content with where this is in the rankings. I think the instrumental break in the middle on this one is the best of the instrumental breaks. More than there's a big, big sound? It's up there. They're neck and neck. I have the instrumental break to there's a big, big sound over that of We Are Geelong. But if you're looking at the top of these rankings, you think Geelong might be at the very top, especially with Ethan being the Cats fan. And oh no, or maybe oh yes, depending on your fandom, Max Gone kicks it after the siren. Number one is It's a Grand Old Flag, the song of the Melbourne Demons. Normally a song with such simple lyrics that are largely unchanged from the original song wouldn't be so great, but this is number one off comedic value alone. This was a song that we would sing in my first grade class after doing the Pledge of Allegiance, and it cracks me up every time I hear it. 
Whether the D's just beat Geelong, or no matter who they beat, no matter what fashion they win the game in, because it's such a funny selection taking a traditional patriotic song, changing maybe three words, and turning it into your team's anthem. I think they change a little bit more than three words. I'm kind of shocked that we have this as our number one when neither Melbourne nor the Demons are part of the lyrics at all. But the combination of the comedic value, the alterations that they make being really smart at times and just really funny at others makes this one of the best footy songs and one that's probably also really hard to take and move around to other clubs. So that also gives it points. It works at so many levels. I knew that George M. Cohen wrote Your Grand Old Flag. I didn't realize that Melbourne had started using it for their song just six years later. They clearly realized the potential of taking the red, white, and blue and using it for the red and the blue. And props to Bluey Truscott for making it happen. This one definitely makes me laugh more than we're from Tigerland. So on that front, I agree with you. I am not mad at all at how these rankings turned out. And I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about song rankings, what different criteria you have, maybe how much your fan biases play into things. Mine really didn't at all, clearly, looking at We're Flying High being at the very bottom. Mine did very slightly, but not over the top. I had picked We Are Geelong and Grand Old Flag as the two best songs before I ended up gravitating towards the Cats as a team. So this really didn't affect it that much. When I was looking for a team a couple years ago, I wanted to pick one with a cool song, and I think it's safe to say I got that. I remember in that 2020 season when they were hovering around 500, how much I was rooting for the D's to win games just for them to play Grand Old Flag. That's another one where if you're introducing the sport to an American who has no familiarity with it, you can teach them about the fundamentals of the game and then say, oh yeah, when the game ends, you know that song Grand Old Flag that you sing in first grade? They sing that. It's kind of like describing college football to people. Like, it's a football game, but one of these teams has five wins and six losses. The other has two wins and nine losses. And it's the most important game of the year for them because the winner gets a really old bucket. For those of you who don't know, he's referencing the rivalry between Purdue University and Indiana University. I do get a sort of college football vibe to a lot of this. I know that some schools' teams do sing their fight song after wins. A lot of them do stay out on the field while the band plays their alma mater. But I wish I'd see that more. And that's an aspect of AFL culture and probably Australian sports culture as a whole that I would love to have permeate American college sports at least more. That's all for our ranking special. This was a lot of fun to do. This is something that we had put a lot of thought and a lot of time and effort into. Maybe a little too much for me, honestly. I was changing this up until the night that we were doing this. We're glad you tuned in. We're putting out a lot of episodes over these couple weeks. So be sure to refresh your feed constantly, and we'll see you again soon. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter, at Americans Footy. You can find me, at Castle Media. You can find me at BenjaminHK01. And you can find Grind Harambe the Footy Cat, who just woke up, yawned, and looks like he's ready to sleep again, as cats do, at CatNamedGrind on Instagram. With round 12 coming up, We've got our progress report for the teams that have buys coming out soon. And then after that, time for the round preview again. Thank goodness there are no overlaps this round. I was really thinking they would bungle the scheduling. We'll talk all about those matchups and and those other teams then. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you to Brian for not making a bunch of noise and messing with our recording. He has been a great live audience, much better than usual.